Guys, welcome to the I Love Seville show. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us live from our studio in downtown Charlottesville. And it's an absolute pleasure to connect with you through the I Love Seville network. The show airs on all social media, wherever you get your podcasts. And it's a dynamic program where you, the viewer and listener, are encouraged to offer your thoughts, your perspective, your ideas, um, a lot to cover on today's show. Judah Wickhauer yesterday broke news with First Night Virginia for the second consecutive year in question, in peril, uncertain. We'd like to outline the next steps to saving First Night Virginia on the program. Why I want to highlight First Night Virginia is because it's a family-friendly environment that is festive, it has the holidays, it has lights, it's not based around alcohol, kids are encouraged to come, it's just a good showcase for downtown Charlottesville, and I, I, I love to showcase downtown Charlottesville and what, what is best for downtown Charlottesville. So we'll talk about the next steps for saving First Night Virginia. Um, I want to talk on today's show, a trend we're seeing with rents, residential rents, rents for Houses, rents for condos, rents for apartments, they're escalating. The speculation was that um, multifamily and residential rents would flatline, um, but the opposite's happening. Interest rates are at 8%. I mean, on Real Talk with Keith Smith this morning, Keith Smith mentioned that he, had, he was in a room where someone said that those interest rates could hit 10% in the very near future, future for purchasing a house. The rates are rising at the same time. Inventory is next to nothing, while values on houses are escalating because folks are flooding to this area with bags of money to either pay cash or to get aggressive with offers for purchasing houses. So a lot of people are left on the sidelines um, in this home-buying bonanza. And as folks are left on the sidelines in this home buying bonanza, the shifting attention from purchase to renting, which is driving residential rents up locally. If you go on apartments.com, and it's a website we check often, a number of options for rent, dozens of options for rent, over $3,000 per month, options four or five years ago that were half that. We'll talk about that trend on today's show. I want to ask you this question. How do you feel about um, police locally using license plate readers? That's a conversation on the program that I want to have. Are license plate readers um, a proposal that right now is being discussed by local police um, welcomed? Are they concerning? Is it a violation of, of, of rights and privacy? Your thoughts on license plate readers? That's a topic I want to have on, on today's show. On yesterday's program, and Judah, we'll weave you into this mix here in a matter of moments. We played a video um, from Deep Throat and his oldest son, High Voice, a visualization, and this particular visualization highlighted a property 1115 Park Street. Do you have that visualization still ready to go? Yeah. J-Dubs? 
This is on Park Street, um, 1,105 Park Street, 1,115 Park Street, 1115 Park Street, uh, an $899,000 purchase price for this property. The LLC that purchased it was Two Acre Wood LLC. And I asked on yesterday's program, you know, who bought this? I asked on yesterday's show, what is the Two Acre Wood LLC? I asked because this two acres on Park Street is in a, a primo developmental zone, especially as upzoning moves um, forward. So if you want to pull down that uh, lower third, because it's a different topic here, J-Dubs. Um, oh, fantastic. You've already done that. Thank you so much. Go ahead and play the video from Deep Throat and his oldest son, High Voice, a visualization. This is what could happen to 1115 Park Street. I asked yesterday, who's the owner of this? Interestingly, this topic came up at the beginning of yesterday's planning commission meeting. And I'm just going to stick to the facts of what happened yesterday. And, you know, I don't have enough information yet to offer opinion or commentary. So it's going to be strictly factual analysis um, on today's program. We'll try to dig deeper into the story. Two people spoke on record to counsel about 1115 Park Street during the public comment portion. And these two folks were armed with intel um, that I think is, you know, is, is valuable intel. Um, the first person, and this is public record, it's literally public record before a planning commission meeting, so it's not breaking news by any capacity. We are not breaking news here. The first individual was John Hasek, and the second individual was, uh, let me make sure I have her name right, was uh, Kimber Hawkey. And both um, John Cossack and John Hossack and Himber, Kimber Hawkey um, uncovered that the owner of this single-family detached home on two acres on Park Street with tremendous upzoning potential is current planning commissioner Rory Stolzenberg. Rory Stolzenberg has come on this program a number of times. And John spoke first, and he asked, um, he asked questions, he posed hypotheticals. Kimber spoke second. She asked questions. The questions they asked were, why is the um, current planning commissioner buying this in an LLC? Um, why was it not disclosed, this purchase, um, until they've highlighted on the record before planning commission? Other questions um, that were asked were, um, what's the intention or the plan 
for this property once upzoning is approved. It got to the point in the planning commission meeting yesterday where the planning commissioner, uh, Mr. Stolzenberg, had to get an opinion from the Charlottesville city attorney about what was happening and if everything was above board. The Charlottesville city attorney has agreed, said, that everything to this point is completely above board. So it's on next door right now. I just got sent the screenshot literally as I'm speaking right now. The next door thread that's gaining traction. Um, I believe a video is being created as we speak on the YouTube channel. So this is the question I have for you. In August of this year, a current and active planning commissioner, Mr. Rory Stolzenberg, which I have a lot of respect for, he purchased a home on Park Street for $899,000 with what does not appear, according to Mr. John Hasek, if I'm butchering your last name, I apologize, sir. I don't mean to do that. No financing instrument on this purchase. $899,000, according to Mr. Hasek, is, is a fair amount of money when you're not financing the purchase. It's two acres. It's got a home on it that needs significant updating. You can look at the photos online. The upzoning potential is significant. I believe Judah's showed the video as I've talked over it. You can show the video again with the An sound down. The example potential development comes from a lot that was recently sold. Two taxpayers in the city spoke before the planning commission yesterday and raised questions about this purchase. And the questions were as follows. Why did the planning commissioner not disclose this purchase sooner. The second question was raised, why did the planning commissioner purchase the property in an LLC? The third question was about the timing of the purchase. Upzoning is nearing approval. The planning commissioner, Mr. Stolzenberg, is pushing this upzoning concept forward. Mr. Hasek and Ms. Hawkey are saying or have said that this appears to be um, you know, gray area. The planning commissioner then had to ask the city attorney um, to offer his opinion on the transaction. And the city attorney said, this does not violate any kind of um, laws. The timing is interesting, meaning the draft zoning ordinance and up zoning is in the bottom of the ninth inning. The purchase is interesting, meaning it was done in an LLC and not the person's name. You don't often see that for a personal residence. The financing 
was a topic of conversation. I know Mr. Stolzenberg, he's talent, talent uh, has a lot of talent, very strongly employed. The financing is less of a problem with me, but that was what was brought up, and that's what's percolating now on the social um, channels. Interestingly, planning commissioners, and I believe all elected officials, have to offer disclosures of deals they've done and assets they have once per year. I believe that's done generally in the middle or toward the end of January of each calendar year. So this purchase was done, it closed in August, so the disclosure doesn't have to happen until, what, September, October, November, December, four or five months from now. I would say the timing is a bit curious. I would like to learn more about... Um, Who else was involved in the deal? I think it's important that we follow what happens with this project moving forward. I can see why opponents of upzoning brought this to light in the planning commission meeting yesterday, in particular because Commissioner Stolzenberg has been such an advocate for upzoning and in the past has utilized social media to out or to dox homeowners who are anti-upzoning and more housing. So those who spoke yesterday... Uh, Mr. Hasek and Ms. Hawkey, they utilized past precedent, specifically the current planning commissioner doxing taxpayers and homeowners in the past against the planning commissioner himself while he was sitting on the dais and speaking on the record. Do I have an issue with someone spending $899,000 without financing or without getting a loan? No. I attribute that to Mr. Stolzenberg being intelligent, um, well-resourced, um, a good saver, having a great job. I mean, you watch the planning commission, and I'm a junkie for this. Rory is so smart, and I hope he watches this. And Rory, I, yeah, you have to realize everything I've said here has been completely legit, above board, and based on a meeting that happened yesterday. I got no issue with someone spending $899,000 to buy a house and what appears, according to the folks that spoke yesterday, and this is, you can figure this out online if you have a little bit of sophistication, no financing vehicle or loan mechanism to buy the property. i got no problem with that. So I'm going to take that off the table. I may put that into the conspiracy category. The timing of all this I find curious, and I'm using the word curious here. That's my opinion, curious. Why I utilize the word curious is you got the 
strongest and loudest and most vigorous proponent of upzoning on the planning commission and Mr. Rory Stolzenberg buying a two-acre house, two-acre property with an old beat-up house on it on Park Street, and this particular property has massive upzoning potential. The purchase, it closed in August, happened a whiskers hair away or a whiskers hair removed from when upzoning is likely going to be approved by local government. A lot of folks think that this is going to be approved in December. So here we are a mere few months away from upzoning being approved and a piece of property that was purchased in August will immediately, once upzoning is approved, gain significantly more value. Because the opportunity to do something with that property is significantly more uh, tangible. That's what came up yesterday during the planning commission. And everything that I've relayed on air here has been based on that interaction. We had a the local the attorney for Charlottesville have to offer his opinion on this. I now am seeing the same folks that spoke before the planning commission yesterday asking questions about um, the attorney used in this closing. I will allow that information to come to light either through um, Mr. Stolzenberg or the attorney that was used to close this transaction herself speaking on it, or Mr. Hasek or Ms. Hawkey bringing to light the attorney who closed on this transaction. I am aware who this attorney is, but that'll be someone else's news to put out there. I think when we find out who that attorney is, that could add another dynamic or wrinkle to this perfect storm of curiosity. So before I get to the next topic, I want to offer you a bullet point conclusion of what has happened. A bullet point conclusion that you can find easily online. It's going viral on Nextdoor. It is... going to be in the news cycle. Here's the bullet point conclusion. An active planning commissioner, an intelligent, well-read, savvy, sophisticated, Mr. Rory Stolzenberg, purchased an $899,000 two-acre, outdated, single-family detached property and home on Park Street at 1115 Park Street. 899000 There appears to be no financing or mortgage instrument associated with this transaction. This property is in a primo 
location, once upzoning is approved, Mr. Stolzenberg has led the charge for upzoning, been the most loud supporter, loud proponent of upzoning. He made this purchase in August, the middle of the month, a few months removed or a few months prior to upzoning getting approved. He purchased this property in a single member LLC. No disclosure was done for the purchase of this property at the time of closing. To his credit, most of those disclosures don't happen until January. Curiously, January is likely going to fall the disclosure time after the, the upzoning is approved by local government. It's very curious, the timing there. The property, when it was purchased, has a value of what he paid for, excuse me, $899,000. And that property, once upzoning is approved, will have a value that's significantly more than $899K. So this property will appreciate in a very short period of time significantly because of government policy, policy that he has pushed forward. Another interesting wrinkle that I think is going to penetrate the cycle is the closing attorney associated with this property. I will allow the community to bring that to light instead of doing it myself. Once that comes to light, the story becomes even more dynamic. One of the viewers and listeners of this talk show, Carly, Carly, I'll get to your comments here. I've got a lot of comments coming in. I'll get to the comments here in a matter of moments. One of the viewers and listeners of this talk show, and in this particular circumstance, I will not utilize their name, not because they, do not, they don't want me to, just because I don't want to put this particular person in a, in a predicament. But one of the viewers and listeners of this talk show made this comment to me today. And I'm going to read it verbatim. I'm scrolling through. He says, this town is too small to be clean. It's too small to be clean. Meaning that very a few, a small group of people determine the influence and outcomes for the massive portion of the population. And the rule of thumb is, it's the, I mean, I hate to say this, it's, that's why it's called one percenters. It's a region of 300,000, Central Virginia. A region of 300,000, right? So if there's a one percenter, you know, rule of thumb, 
That means 3,000 people are determining the outcome for 297,000 people. We'll get to comments here. Carly Wagner has this comment. Should the owner recuse himself from decisions regarding his property? It seems like a conflict of interest. No. She also adds, Carly Wagner, on one hand, he's not the only person able to speculate on increased land value due to upzoning. Many folks are doing it. The difference is he is in a position that can directly impact policy. If you have a take on this, I'm, I'm very curious of your take too, Judah. I, don't, I understand the real estate is not, you know, what's the word you like to use? Bailiwick? I don't think I've ever used that word. Maybe it's me that's used it? It's a good word, though. Um, I mean, I think, uh, I think the comments are probably saying more than I could. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, I don't see Rory as the kind of person that's going to do this and try to hide it. And, you know, if it's I'm, – I'm pretty sure if he's, if he's involved in the deal that he's made sure that it's above board. The city attorney has said it's above board to this point. This is from Deep Throat. Um, and Deep Throat references yesterday's planning commission meeting. And the city attorney, Stroman, Strawman, Stroman, Deep Throat says, uh, Mr. Stolzenberg told Stroman, I own it all myself, no options granted to anyone else. So I take him at his word for that, Deep Throat says, but I suspect he wants to develop and he will work with someone on doing that moving forward. Deep Throat says, I think this would have been fine if he had disclosed that he purchased it last year and said he bought it. It surely would have been an issue at all the public hearings or if he waited until after the draft zoning ordinance is done but doing this quietly right in the gap is sketchy. He also says, deep throat, just buy it, tell people you bought it, end of story, and put your big boy pants on and take the heat from it. So, you know, that's in a nutshell. I, I, I have a feeling... that there's another layer of dynamic to come here. But that's not going to be my dynamic to highlight today. If you have any questions, Carly Wagner says it may not be illegal, but it seems questionable. She says engineering, engineers that do feasible studies or get inside information about zoning issues are not supposed to be able to personally gain from information not available to the public. Everything I've highlighted on the program today is public record. Nothing has been conjecture or commentary. I asked a question on yesterday's show about a two-acre property on Park Street tied to an LLC called, what is it, two-acre wood And then, interestingly, after I asked that question, 
yesterday on the show about Two Acre Wood LLC, that very topic came up at the beginning of the Planning Commission meeting about six hours after I asked the question on this talk show yesterday. And when it came up at the Planning Commission meeting yesterday, Two Acre Wood, the people that spoke on the record, Mr. John Hasek and Ms. Kimber Hawkey, had information in their hands that tied the LLC to an active planning commissioner who purchased two acres on Park Street, a home that is very old for $899,000, a purchase that has a value today of $899K, but a value much higher once policy is approved, policy that is being pushed by the purchaser of the property. That's that. Nothing I said was on this topic commentary or conjecture. Matt Yancey watching the program on uh, Twitter. Sean, Xdoor Sean, we'll get to your comments here in a matter of moments. Viewers and listeners, your thoughts on the topic. Um, and we'll get to here on the, on the talk show. Albert in Crozet says, where there's smoke, there's fire. And Albert says, this definitely is a conflict of interest considering this individual would have the most to gain from passing of upzoning that would definitely garter him a huge windfall of income. Kevin Yancey says, I think the LLC may give away who may have a hand in it. I'm not going to be the one who lets folks know who the closing attorney was. That's going to come out, I believe, uh, this week. Then we'll talk about it. But I'm not going to be the one who doesn't. Anything you want to add to this before we go to the next topic? If we go on a two-shot? No, nothing for me. Okay. Um, I want to highlight a local media outlet in Charlottesville tomorrow, the nonprofit news organization. Charlottesville tomorrow is doing a fantastic job of covering the Market Street Park um, evolution. I mean, you think about this park, dude. It's had such a significant evolution in six years. Six years ago, this was the site of a Nazi and Antifa rally. Yeah. Now, six years later, this is the site of... Now, let's take it a step further. Let's go to 2011. In 2011, this was home to Occupy Charlottesville the Occupy Wall Street movement. Yeah. Where in 2011, for months, people lived in Market Street Park, a trend that was um, present and relevant in cities and towns all over America. And Occupy Charlottesville, I want to get the exact definition of what Occupy Wall Street was. Occupy Wall Street was a 59-day movement 
against economic inequality and the influence of money in politics. That's what Occupy Wall Street was. And Occupy Wall Street came to Charlottesville with the Charlottesville movement in 2011. So from 2011 to today, we're talking 12 years. In 12 years, it's gone from Occupy Charlottesville, the Occupy Wall Street subset, to a Nazi Antifa rally, mm-hmm. Global News, Heather Heyer's murder, to now Tent Town. This morning I counted 33 tents. And a, a town that is now asking for taxpayers to contribute electricity, running water and porter potties at no charge to Tent Town. Yeah. I mean, good Lord, that's been 12 years. That's a hell of an evolution. No doubt. I want to applaud Charlottesville Tomorrow, the nonprofit news outlet, for covering this story. They have a story out in today's um, SeavilleTomorrow.org written by Aaron O'Hare. That's good. And they reference a... um, A shelter that was home to 91 people, a former hotel that is no more, a lost shelter that social workers say could have helped the hundreds of unhoused people that are currently on our streets. I had a conversation with a landlord this morning, a conversation with a restaurateur this morning, and a conversation with a retailer this morning, all of them tied to downtown Charlottesville. All that came, sought me out, like came here to discuss or talk or stop me while I was getting the the mail from the P.O. box. And they all had the same theme. They all caveated the conversation with, we empathize with the folks in the park. But what's happening in the park is having negative and disastrous effects to either our businesses or the quality of life downtown. Hmm. And I just listen to learn in these circumstances. And they all ask this question, which I think we've covered real well in the program. What is the end game? Like, is the city manager just going to one day say the curfew's back? And then everybody's got to get out? And everyone has to get out? Is the city manager going to do that during winter time? When it's freezing cold? doubtful is he going to wait till after the chilly temperatures have passed which is what april i mean it's it's nuts i mean are they really going to stay there all winter i mean i I, what's the alternative i've 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 heard that the the reference has been made by by his office that almost as a win in his win column that they're off the downtown mall and off the 
I mean, that's that's if the entry was to the businesses. But are they? I mean, I've seen otherwise. I mean, just because they've pitched tents in the uh, the Market Street Park doesn't mean they're not doesn't mean they're not going about their daily business as they normally would. I don't know if that's keeping them off the downtown mall. It may be keeping some of them off the downtown mall at night. Um, in regards to them staying there over winter, I mean, would you really want to stay on a uh, an elevated, uh, open piece of ground? If I was if I was gearing up for the cold, and I'm sure that a lot of these people have probably spent winters outside in the past. Not that that's a good thing, but you would think that. I mean, I would want to find some place that was somewhat sheltered from uh, at, at the very least the wind devil's advocate for the sake of a talk show devil's advocate with you I think you make excellent points very good points the park is close to free breakfast lunch and dinner free charging stations electrical outlets on the downtown mall free internet on the downtown mall and a foot traffic of population that contributes and donates to um, Tent Town's citizenship, citizenry. Which, which implies that they are all on the downtown mall, or at least enough of them that they're using it as a, as a place to make money. Which means that they're not staying off the downtown mall. Well, the check mark and the wind column, the previous point I made from the, the boss's office was that they're not sleeping in the doorways of the businesses now. Okay. But were those businesses open No, when they were sleeping in? But when the owners came to the business to open, there was the dynamic of having to yeah. ask to leave to move. Right. I, I'm, I'm um, someone who likes to, I mean, I'm an entrepreneur, man. And, and one of the tough part, one of the most challenging aspects of being a small business owner. How, how many of you guys are small business owners that are watching the program or, or work closely with a small business owner or a, a mid-cap business owner? One of the most challenging aspects of what we do is trying to see, you know, down the road of where things will go. I tell this story a lot. I initially wanted, I initially purchased this storefront on Market Street. Remember what we were going to do with this storefront on Market Street? Uh, You're talking about the Welcome Center? We were going to make this a Welcome Center. We even had branding on the windows for Welcome Center. And I think if you look at the glass a certain way, when the sun is hitting it, the sign was removed. Front Runner Signs does great work. You can still see the stickiness of where the sign was removed. What is it, what's that called? Uh, the signage. Uh, vinyl. Where yeah. the vinyl lettering was stuck to the glass. You can still see Welcome Center on it. Hmm. We did the Welcome Center for a short period of time. It was basically what the Welcome Center on the downtown mall is that Travis Wilburn is running. Charlottesville Insider. And the old, uh, I think he's doing it in the old um, Brasserie Cezette spot. I think it's there. It's right next to his old Metropolitan um, 
uh, events and a, a place that you can rent out to hold events. I think Travis Wilburn is a fantastic asset for Charlottesville, Virginia. Someone tell Travis I said that. I think he's a fantastic asset for Charlottesville, Virginia, and Travis is a fantastic ambassador for um, the downtown mall in totality. I sincerely mean that, Travis. He's opened a welcome center on the downtown mall. We did that eight or not. How long have I been here? We've owned this for eight, nine years, eight years. And here's what I realized immediately with the Welcome Center, that staffing it was going to be a problem. The key times for Welcome Centers are the weekends, and the key times for a Welcome Center are, you know, after four o'clock when people are downtown Charlottesville. Neither you nor myself nor Lauren nor, nor Maggie wanted to work on the weekends or till nine o'clock or 10 o'clock. So the staffing became an issue. Yeah. Another thing that became an issue with the welcome center, the primary questions that were being asked when people were walking into the welcome center was, do you have a bathroom to use or can we get a free map of Charlottesville? We still get that question. Can we get a free map of Charlottesville with stuff to do? Not something you want to pay. Yeah. And then I realized a handful of months into running a welcome center here on Market Street in a very visible storefront that the concept of creating a welcome center was a model that I didn't want to be in. So we then took between thirty dollars and $40,000 and we built a podcasting network. At the time, you said this is nuts. Others on the team said this was nuts. But I realized at the time that Maybe legacy media was struggling and that content on phones was gaining momentum. So we made a pivot and we tried to see where the market was going. And in that particular circumstance, it was a right guess. So my point is seeing where things are going is stuff that some folks you know, can do. And I... I'm personally wondering, where is this going to go? I don't want it to go in a scenario where folks are going to have to be removed against their will. Because that happened in Occupy Charlottesville 2011. Because that's just going to further strain relationships. Mm-hmm. I just would like to know an end game. And why I'd like to know an end game, I'd like to know an end game as, a, as, as someone who's looking at this through a lens of empathy, Judah. I'd like to learn and know an end game as someone who's a taxpayer. I'd like to learn uh, in what the end game is as someone who's a business owner and an employer and as someone who is a building owner. Yeah. It's not just, are you in the, you're in the county or yeah, the city? Just over the line in the county. So you're in the county. We're paying taxes on the business, the businesses that are run here. We're paying taxes on the real estate that is owned here. Multiple tax streams and thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. I won't say hundreds of thousands, but there's 40, 50,000 people in Charlottesville City that live in the city. And then you got a number of folks that own businesses in the city that don't live in the city 
I wouldn't be surprised if it's over 100,000 people that are paying taxes to the city in some capacity. We should ask these questions. The three people that stopped me this morning went out of their way and asked that this be a conversation on the show. They mm-hmm. all caveated everything with, we empathize. Yeah. I'm sure most people empathize with the, <clears throat> with the unhoused population. Especially uh, it becomes winter. Yeah. Uh, I've seen them out in the mall when it was, you know, some of the coldest nights that I've, that I've uh, experienced here in Charlottesville. And, uh, I mean, what do you do? I've, uh, I've given money to, you know, some of them when I, when I felt, uh, when I felt called to, I've bought a pizza for some of them, uh, before when I felt called to, but really there's not a whole lot that you can do except empathize with them. Um, and maybe, uh, Maybe volunteer your time at a place like uh, one of the soup kitchens or uh, Pacham. Um, help with the overnight, uh, um, the overnight people. But other than that, I mean, I think this really is something for the city to decide. What are they going to do? And I'm not sure how I feel about Sam Sanders, uh, you know, um, not running to do anything at this moment because he's not sure what we need. This is not a new... I, I, it's a new situation for him, I suppose, but it's not a new situation to Charlottesville. I, and he was very clear that there is no action plan because the action plan is being developed. Yeah. So he's basically saying we don't have a plan yet. And we know that the police department has been... They're not going to touch this with a 10-foot pole, and, if you, and rightly so. Rightly they're, so. They would be idiots to get involved in this. I, I, if, 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 yeah. And we know they're not idiots, so. They're, they're not, just going to stay away. Yeah, especially after getting called out for, for a BS, you know, having someone uh, try to trump up some, some false charges against the police. Uh, I mean, yeah. Right. They would... They they know what's up. They're not gonna they're not gonna go near this place unless uh, unless there's serious reason to. I mean, we have we have we've created a, an absolute. How what do you characterize this as? Like a total mess without swearing. Right. I I mean you knew the phrase that I was gonna use. <laughs> there are a couple I'm thinking of. I mean, it's a total mess. I mean... And you can't flip the switch and say, clear the park when it's October 11th. I woke up this morning and it was 39 degrees. Yeah. Even if you did. That's... I mean, that's part of my... Like, that doesn't make any sense to me in one regard because, come on, it's going to be cold wherever they go. Uh, Like I said, someplace that's sheltered from, from... at the very least, the wind would be a better option. Than but those wouldn't be close to the foot traffic that panhandles, that, that offers money for panhandling, nor would they be close to the soup kitchens you, and the churches break- that give free breakfast, lunch, and dinner, nor is it close to the electrical outlets on the downtown mall or the free internet on the downtown okay, mall. Okay, you bring that up, but does that mean we leave them in the park because it's convenient? 
I mean, was the strategy, let's open up the park and make the park a campground because we want them, we want them out of the storefronts of the downtown mall? But it hasn't really gotten them out of the storefronts. That's my point. Did the strategy, was the strategy from the CEO of the city make the park a campground with the hopes that it gets Tent Town's citizens off the downtown mall when what actually happened was they never left the downtown mall? Possibly, but I, I don't know. I, that seems somewhat rather more incompetent than I'm willing to believe uh, out of any of the, the city council or the, um, or the city mayor. Well, I don't think it's pretty clear city council didn't have anything to do with this besides supporting yeah, I'm just the saying, CEO. I'm just saying none of them, including Sam Sanders, am I willing to believe are so incompetent that they would just say, oh, well, letting them stay in the park will keep them. I mean, you don't even know that you wouldn't even have any way of thinking that all of the the unhoused population are going to end up in the the park. There's no reason to think that starting off with five tents that every unhoused person in Charlottesville would vacate the downtown mall or any other area and all end up on the park. Sure, we have a lot of tents there now, but I doubt we have all of the unhoused population of Charlottesville in that park. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying that it's close to everything, but there are other, there are other grassy areas in Charlottesville that aren't that far. Well, I mean, multiple people have suggested. I think Vanessa Parkhill has made the suggestion of uh, Vanessa Parkhill's watching of Tonsler Park or George Washington Park because they're sheltered structures at these parks. Mm. Tonsler Park right there at what Ridge and Cherry. And George Washington Park there on Preston, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just don't see a... He literally could have directed them... I don't see how this ends well. To another, yeah, I know. I, he, I feel like he could have directed them to any other area. He could have directed them to the corner of, uh, of Ridge and, and Preston. It would have been a better solution than this. There you go. All right, put up the rents lower third if you could. Are rents escalating in Charlottesville and Almar County? Guys, so crazy to say this. And I, you should here get in on this discussion as well. And if you need to take off R to shorten it up so it fits on the lower third, rents escalating in Seaville and Albco and Almaro, question mark? I don't think that's going to be the problem. This is something I follow closely. I love data. I love stats. I was the kid who geeked out growing up. My brother and I were products of the uh, 80s, born in the 80s, my brother and I. And we would love to get the sports page. We grew up with the Daily Press sports page, my brother and I, in Williamsburg, Virginia. And we would fight over the sports page over breakfast while eating breakfast it got so serious and aggressive, the fight over the sports page, that our parents, mom and dad, 
would divide the sports page in half. It was very small sports page even then, thin sports page. So one of us would get like the front page and like the opinion portion and the other one would get like the box scores and the agate page. Agate and, and is a newspaper, is newspaper jargon, agate. And what agate uh, means is the box scores, the, the batting averages, the points per game, the rebounds per game, yards per game, the touchdowns, the stats, the stats. And my brother and I, my parents realized this very quickly, what we both wanted was the agate, the stats, the data. We wanted the box scores and the numbers because we love pouring through them. Love data. I follow the data closely. This came up on Real Talk this morning. The housing market in central Virginia is a bonanza right now. I'll give it to you in bullet point fashion. By now you know what's happening. First, Bloomberg, the media company, the media platform, Bloomberg, a global brand for media, ranked the most popular remote work, hybrid work, stay-at-home work, metro areas in the United States. And Charlottesville, Virginia was 15th in the nation. The Charlottesville metro area was 15th in the country for metro, for hybrid work and remote work. 15th. Nearly a fourth of the population, just call it a quarter of the population, is now working remotely or hybridly in the Charlottesville metro area. Remember that, one. Two, and I'm going to make a list of this. Bloomberg remote hybrid work. Two, since the pandemic, values in the Charlottesville metro area have uptick north of 30%, and in some circumstances, in some cases, in some neighborhoods, Keith has taught us micro markets matter, some neighborhoods, values have increased 60%. Values have exploded. So home value explosion. Three, the interest rate environment since the pandemic in 2000, at the onset of the pandemic, the first year of the pandemic, you could literally secure a rate if you had good credit in the 2.2, 2.3, 2.4 range. That number's at 8% now. So the interest rate environment has basically 4X'd. And Keith mentioned on the show this morning that it could get to 10% the interest rate, that he was in a room where he heard the 10% number thrown. Four, the inventory levels are at a decade's low. There's just no inventory out there. There is no inventory out there on the market. It is next to nothing. It's super slim. Inventory levels are low. Number five, population influx. Because of the quality of life, which is the reason we live here, restaurants, outdoors, music, breweries, wineries, vineyards, the downtown mall, hiking, mountain biking, 
canoeing, rafting, quality of life. Because of the quality of life here, the population is upticking. Six, data science school, biotech school, expanded UVA enrollment, and Amazon investing $11 billion into Louisa County is driving very wealthy folks to live to the area. So wealthy influx. These six factors, Bloomberg, number one, and 2022, number 15 in the nation, the Charlottesville metro area for hybrid work and remote work. Number two, home value explosions in the Charlottesville metro area, 30% plus for this particular area. Number three, the interest rate environment has nearly 4x since the onset of the pandemic. Number four, inventory levels are at decades low. Number five, the quality of life. Everyone wants a taste of the quality of life, so they're coming here. And number six, a wealthy influx of people to the area. Those six factors are all colliding at exactly the same time. And as a result, it's pushed a lot of people to the sidelines of home ownership and home purchasing. And it's kept them in a renter's or tenant's position. If you follow the data, and I follow it closely, rents, Judah, for the Charlottesville metro area are gaining a lot of momentum and upticking quickly. Haven't they been for, uh, haven't they been since COVID at least? The speculation was they would stabilize. Because what we've seen at a macro level was a glut of multi-family rental options. So the speculation at the macro level was this going to be nationwide. But at the micro level, at the Charlottesville level, we don't have that glut of multi-family. And because we don't have that glut of multifamily, and because the demand is strong, we're seeing rents now gaining momentum northward from a pricing standpoint. And now you are seeing rents in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2023 that are at a higher clip per month, 3000 per month, than when someone in March of 2020 or early of 2020 secured a mortgage on a $700,000 property. The mortgage secured on a $700,000 property of March of 2020 is lower than the rents offered for a new two-bedroom in the Charlottesville metro area today. Crazy, but I'm not really surprised. The Charlottesville metro, I'll, I'll give that stat to the viewers and listeners again. The Charlottesville metro area has rents for two-bedroom, even some three-bedroom, that are well over 3000 a month. That monthly rental price point for those two- and three-bedrooms in the Charlottesville metro area have now surpassed the mortgage payment of what someone secured on the onset of the pandemic for a $700,000 standalone single-family detached purchase property. Which really drives home the idea that uh, buying a home yeah. is, un- is unbeatable. I mean, to think that you could be paying what you think are decent uh, rent prices and three years later you're paying for someone's 
$800,000 mortgage by living in their tiny two-bedroom. It's kind of nuts. Hmm. So is there an answer to that? Is there a solution or do we just uh, do we just hope that not everybody follows the general trend? Well, I don't have a solution. What are your solutions? I don't have a solution either. I mean, uh, I don't think rent control is the answer to this. Um, I don't think rent control will ever gain any traction in Virginia. No. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's generally speaking a good idea, um, but I I don't know I mean obviously um, you know we've talked to uh, we've talked to realtors of every stripe and color and we all know the solution is building more housing but um, we're just in an, an impossible situation here this is Charlottesville. 10 square miles. 10.2 square miles. The jurisdiction that's trying to build more housing, Charlottesville through upzoning, doesn't have the land to build more housing. The jurisdiction that surrounds Charlottesville that has the land to build more housing, Almoral County, doesn't have the political capital to expand the, co the developmental area. Only 5% of Almoral County is allocated to development. Comprehensive plan. On top of that, it's an interest rate environment that deters development because people that do projects deters, deters development because people that do development mm -hmm. need money from banks. Yeah. Banks aren't lending money, and the banks that do choose to lend money are doing it at 10%, 11%, 12%, which is keeping the folks on the sidelines who don't have the dry powder on hand to do the development. And if you do, you're worried about prices of goods going up so that you end up getting shafted after you've built the place. Cost of goods are escalating. There's a labor shortage. The materials are more expensive. The labor's more expensive because we don't have electricians. We don't have plumbers. We don't have trades partners. The few that are left in the industry are aging and dying or retiring, and they realize they're worth, so they're charging more. Because they're charging more, the projects are more expensive. Because the projects are more expensive, the rents are higher when they come to market. On top of that, where the development is happening or where the development could happen is tied to neighborhoods that are historically marginalized. Why it's tied to neighborhoods where the development could happen, neighborhoods that are historically marginalized, is that's because the developer is able to assemble or aggregate a bunch of property next to each other yeah. to build the development. Right. And once the developer is able to assemble or aggregate property, cluster property for purchase to build something, the marginalized neighborhood then utilizes its power of, of, of collective bargaining and collective politicking to slow down and convolute the development process. Phase three dairy market. Yep.
Add to that the fact that nobody wants to deal with uh, the city of Charlottesville. Yeah. And what do you got? I don't know how many people they've put out of business. Uh, Keith Woodard walked away for over a million dollars of underground infrastructure. You have a story firsthand. Yeah. My dad and his partner gave up the company because it just wasn't worth it. Trying to build in Charlottesville, trying to build homes in Charlottesville, and uh, just, just uh, I didn't even know how to put it, just hounded and, uh, and overcomplicated at every turn. Friend of the program, Aaron King, watching the show, one of Western Admiral's finest graduates. Proud to call her a friend. Fantastic businesswoman. She says this entire conversation, you know we're in the process, Jerry, of moving back to Charlottesville. It's been really hard for us to find something affordable, and we've had to take a lot off our must-have list. No doubt. Oh, man. Mr. Bill Mooncatchy watching the program. He says, hey, Jerry. I love Bill Mooncatchy. Mm -hmm. He's got a tutoring business that he's launched. I hope it's going well. If you guys, what's it called? Um, let me check. I'm going to go to Bill's Facebook page. And I'm going to slide down to see the name of his tutoring company. Zeta Math Tutoring. Online at ZetaMathTutoring.com. This is one of the all-around great guys in Charlottesville, Bill. I love this guy. He leaves this comment. I have had two tutoring students who have said they do not want to meet me downtown citing the tent town downtown. Hmm. I am instead meeting them at the Starbucks at 5th Street. So instead of meeting in a public, non-corporate place... I have to meet them at a corporate place. It's no good. He was previously meeting his tutoring students at the library. Mm. Downtown Charlottesville. Yeah. And his students have said they don't want to go there. So now he's going to Starbucks on 5th. I'm sure there are a lot of people in the library these days. Bill, anytime you want, you come on the show. Sincerely mean that. I love that guy. Bill McChesney, the mayor of McIntyre, the median panhandlers in the urban ring don't go to Patcham or soup kitchens. They will make enough to get a motel room and restaurant meals. A lot of the houseless will migrate south in the cold weather. Watch what happens. Interesting. What do you attribute this to? <laughs> All these things that we've identified today. Is this the COVID hangover? Oh, I think it's a lot more than that. Is it the collateral damage of the pandemic? Mm, that certainly exacerbated things, but I think this is something that's been in the, uh, I don't want to say in the works, but uh, something, that's, something that's been building for, a lot longer. We need to continue the first night Virginia in the news cycle. Judah broke the news yesterday, and you go ahead and take the lead of the show, and I'll adapt to you. 
Well, um, ideally, I think what we need is a uh, we need a, a group, probably a. Uh, you should a, set the stage first, a in case people, people missed yesterday's show. Okay, for anyone that missed the show yesterday, I have a friend who is in charge of the First Night Virginia website. He also takes care of, you know, he took care of getting the uh, getting the bracelets printed, uh, taking, you know, making sure that the the payment portal was set up correctly. Also, uh, so this is a, a key member to First Night Virginia. Yeah, and he also made sure that the website had a place where any of the acts that were coming to Charlottesville could input their information, so that uh, so that everything was, I, I guess, uh, gathered in one place. So whoever was, actually, I think he was probably designing the the flyers or whatever else as well. So he probably had. He has all that information, had all that information together in one place. Everything was good to go, but that's all he did. And uh, formerly, um, Drake Van, Van de Castle uh, was the leader of, I think there were more people, but he was ultimately in charge. Uh, the, money, the money moved through him uh, and... He and whoever else was uh, was on the uh, the board or the panel or whatever it's called, um, they are all uh, they were in charge of um, getting the acts together uh, and organizing the whole thing. And ultimately, that's what we need now is uh, a group of people I think who can um, save rescue. Continue. I mean, it's gonna. We. I think we both know it's gonna be a tall order if it's even possible to get uh, to save it for this particular New Year's Eve. Yeah, we have little time left. Um, even I. Even I think getting all local bands, it might still be a, uh, a too tall an order. I think the local bands that would draw the the people are are booked. So First Night Virginia, December 31st to January 1, the family-friendly celebration on the downtown mall mm-hmm. is on the cusp of being canceled for the second straight year. That's news we broke last I mean, year. Judah Wickhauer did it. It is canceled this year. Unless, okay, so, as we've said, as I've said, if, if someone... So it is canceled. Someone needs to uncancel it by coming in here and literally the bottom of the ninth inning and rescuing it. Pulling a miracle. Somebody, if a uh, Hail Mary. If we want it this year, somebody's got to get the axe together. Somebody's got to coordinate with the, with the downtown businesses, the downtown mall businesses. Someone needs to get because, the insurance, because the police uh, presence, yeah. the bans, the entry, the exit, somebody's organize, gotta, the I fundraising, kn- the sponsorship. I, kn- I know there are people out there that can do this because we get uh, we get you know we get bands at the uh, at the pavilion we get uh, we get things like tom tom obviously uh, there's a lot more lead time on something like that uh, but unless somebody unless somebody or some group of people is able to uh, is able to come in and take this over uh, drake van de castle apparently from what i uh, from what i've been told 
was looking for someone to take this over from him uh, because he's no longer living in Charlottesville. That person, I believe, fell through, and he basically gave up. Um, so somebody needs to take the reins from Drake and pull a Hail Mary. Um, otherwise, we're not having it this year. Hopefully, uh, he'll do a better job of finding his replacement next year. Uh, and So we'll have... We'll have this again someday. We're utilizing our platform to help potentially, if we can, save First Night Virginia. That would be wonderful. Someone has, between now and December 31st, to basically take over organizing this event that's been around since 1982. Yeah. The only year it didn't happen since 1982 was last year. And we gave them a free pass because we were... Coming out of the pandemic. Did it happen in uh, 2020 and 2021 as well, despite the pandemic? It's not um, on the I web- mean, I think there are pictures up on the website from 2020. So I'm guessing it did, but... Uh... Carol Thorpe, the queen of Jack Jewett, says, No more fireworks on Independence Day, boys. No more first night celebration on New Year's Eve, boys. Tent nope. Town and Market Street Park, Charlottesville. Yeah. A world-class city. Add them all up, and uh, it speaks poorly of uh, the direction things are going. Joanne Mackey, who I have a lot of respect for. Joanne Mackey, a, an economist, I believe, by trade. She says, Jerry and Judah, the housing issue stated results from the markets of capitalism. Unless you want socialism or communism, economic, mar- or economic markets, not governments, this is how it will be. I would love, she says, to live in the seclusion of Keswick Estates or the status of Farmington, but I cannot because my economic results have not made it happen. Yes, people need basic affordable housing, but growing up in New York, that type of housing, she said, was called the projects. She said she knew people that moved out of the projects and up at that time to Levittown, Seems like we can see reality these days. Isn't that where Keith is from? She says, why do squatters in Market Park, Market Street Park, want the city to provide them water? They are not paying taxes, first of all, for water. And she says, why not have them work for the service since they are not paying taxes or rent for where they live? Also, I heard a new term for the homeless on house. I guess that makes folks feel better. Kevin Yancey asked this question. If Tent Town showed up at Meadow Creek Park or at McIntyre Park and the outfields were on the ball fields, would they not be removed by any means necessary? It's a good question. Joanne says the perception of downtown is concerning. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, Ginny Hu says this. It's a hell of a lot colder in Denver, and the tents were not moving or removed or taken down from their parks in Denver until there were shootings and rats with disease. So the government ended up kicking out the citizens of that tent town in Denver. I have an anonymous um, direct message on Twitter. 
sent from a mom. And this mom says, our youth group likes to walk from church to Christians on the mall for dinner, Christian's Pizza. Yeah. And we no longer allow our 12-year-old to do that. In fact, with our church being right by the park, I'm not really comfortable with her attending youth group at all. I'm not really surprised. I don't. I take a wide berth around the around the park now too. And you're a man with a dog. <laughs> I'm a man with a dog, but uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a fool either, and uh, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm not going to put myself into a situation that uh, that could potentially go the wrong way. Um, I've got enough situa- situational awareness that. Uh, I won't blithely walk into something like that. I don't, I don't have any reason to fear the people in the park, but I'm also not, not going to mess around and find out. There you go. All right, that's the Wednesday edition of the uh, I Love Seville show. I am... Um, in a business meeting tomorrow at 12.30. So there will be no I Love Seville show tomorrow at 12.30. Literally in um, a meeting that I'm excited about um, as it pertains to the network and its growth, which we will talk about as, as the uh, negotiations materialize. The show will be back on air on Friday at 12.30, well, we, where we will relay um, what I think is going to be more to this um, two-acre wood LLC purchase on Park Street. So no show tomorrow, back in the saddle on Friday at 12.30. You did a heck of a job today. Thank you. Sincerely mean that. For Judah Wickhauer, my name is Jerry Miller. And this is the I Love Seville show. Take care, everybody. Good job. Nice job. Thank you.